two very small words. They're very small words, but there's a lot in them. The two words we take from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 22, the week before his crucifixion, he's in the temple. Those two words are love and Lord. Love and Lord. I want to start by talking about love. What is love? Big question, right? Somebody asked a number of children between the ages of four and eight years old that question. I want you to listen to some of their answers. Children. Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Billy, age four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. What an insight from these little ones, huh? Dan, Danny, age seven, said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. <laughs> Rebecca, age eight, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Last but not least, this one hit me especially this time of year. Bobby, age seven, said, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. Wow. Love. Those are some great answers, but I want to listen to what Jesus has to say about love this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 starting at verse 34. Jesus has been having nonstop question and answer, refuting the religious leaders. That continues today. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you need to understand that this is something that their types have been debating for years and years. There were 613 laws by their count, 248 do's, and 365 don'ts. And they would go back and forth arguing about which ones are more serious and which ones are not so serious, which ones are heavy, which ones are light. They'd have lengthy discussions about it that would likely put many of us to sleep. But if you appreciate Cliff's Notes when you were growing up and had a book report to do to tell you the point of the book, I think you'll appreciate Jesus' answer here. His answer cuts through the religious fog like a laser beam. He quotes from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 of their own scriptures. It's the first scripture a Jewish child would commit to memory. Most Jews would, would recite it twice every day. He mentions part of it. He, he said to the man, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. Summary, love God with everything you've got. Love God with everything you've got. Heart, soul, mind, and and strength is mentioned in other Gospels. Think about that. All my emotion, all my will, all my energy, every motive, every word, every action out of love for God. I thought about it, and I thought if you could turn this into a prayer at the beginning of the day, it might sound something like this. Lord, use all of me to point with all I've got to all of you. What if, what if that was the mindset at the beginning of each day? I think about this, and I think about a friend that I, I talked to recently. He's older now, but he told me that somehow when he was younger, he managed to make it kindergarten through 12th grade without ever cracking one book. He, he hated to read. But he said, you know what's funny? Now, I cannot stop reading my Bible. I can't stop reading devotionals. I can't stop reading books about God. I want to ask you, what happened in his life? Did he take a reading class? No. You know what happened? I know because I know him. He met Jesus. He, He trusted Jesus as his Savior and his Lord, he, he suddenly found something to read about that he cared about. And, and he can't get enough. He's, he's loving God with his mind, right? Which is one of those areas Jesus mentioned. But Jesus doesn't stop with the great command. He goes on to talk about another one. Verse 39, a, a second command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, too, was right out of their scriptures, Leviticus. Okay? What does that mean, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? I think if you're like me, most of us love ourselves pretty good. Right? If I get hungry, I go get a sandwich. If I'm tired and, and it's Sunday afternoon, I go take a nap. I don't like it when people take my things. I don't like it when people gossip about me. And I don't like it when people refuse to forgive me for past offenses. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, love others that way. Love others that way. Think of what is best for them, what they need, and put them First, think about what Romans 13, 8 says. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I think about that same friend I mentioned earlier. 
he told me something else. He said, you know, something amazing's happening in my life. When I'm at Walmart, I, I stop and I talk to people. I ask how they're doing. I, I, and then I actually listen to them when they answer, and I usually end the conversation by, by saying, God bless you. He said, I never would have done that before because I didn't care about people. In fact, I hated a lot of people. There were a lot of people I would pound just for disagreeing with me. What changed? Did he go on Dr. Phil? Not that I know of. What I do know is he met Jesus. He embraced the Savior of love as his Savior and his Lord. As you think about those two commandments, I want you to think about the order here. Love God. Love people. The second one flows out of the first. Do you know that? We know that from, from 1 John. 1 John 4.10, we love because he first loved us. It's a pay it forward kind of thing. I'm going to tell you something many of you know. If you try to love people apart from that love relationship with God, you're going to bang your head against the wall of defeat time and time again. Because what? If you look at people for a reason not to love them, you will find it. That includes me. That includes you. You will always find it. You want to love people, you have to look up to the way God has loved you the way God has forgiven you, the way God has shown you mercy. I like the way one man put it. He said, take away the love of God and we can become angry at man, the unteachable. We can become pessimistic about man, the unimprovable. True, right? True. And this is so important. So important. I want to share something I heard on the radio recently that disturbed me deeply. I was listening to a conservative commentator with whom I happen to agree on a lot of happenings in the world. A lot of happenings, 99.5% of the happenings. But someone had called or written in on the other side of an issue that he disagreed with. And this host who has publicly proclaimed his faith in Jesus Christ time and time and time again on the radio Ask this person that disagreed with him, do you hate yourself? Does your family hate you? Because I hate you. You're garbage. Go blank yourself. And I got to tell you something, right there is where we need to draw the line, Christian. Right there is where we need to draw the line. We can speak truth about issues, but if we speak God's truth without love, we misrepresent God just as much as love without God's truth does. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I, I take a couple things out of this. One is true obedience depends on love. Because true obedience comes from the inside out. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? God looks at the heart. 
So guilt or obligation or trying to please other people because you know they're watching when you do this certain thing or don't do this certain thing, that doesn't go far enough. That can lead to outward conformity, but those things cannot lead to love, inward obedience. Part of what this means is all the scriptures hang on these two pegs, loving God, loving neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means every other command you'll find in Scripture unpacks one or both of those, explains it, amplifies it. Why? Well, think about the logic. If you truly love God with all that you are in a given moment, you will not sin against him in that moment, correct? Correct? If you truly love your neighbor as yourself in a given moment, you will not sin against him in that moment, correct? take something else away from this. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships with God. We can know the scriptures inside and out. We can have great outward ethics and morals, but if we do not love God and love people, we're missing the boat. We're missing the boat. Think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, quite a list, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The centrality of love. That's the first word I want to talk about. Now I want to talk to you about the word Lord. Lord. Verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? I love this because Jesus has been fielding question after question after question. Now he goes on the offensive. He says, I got a question for you. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Most in that crowd would have agreed to that. The Messiah would be the son of David. They were waiting for him. Some still are. That came from passages in their scriptures like 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, where God said to David, when, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But there was a hitch for many in that crowd. Many of them imagine the Messiah as only a man, only a man who would deliver them from Rome's iron fist. He goes on, verse 43, you believe he's David's son? Okay. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, 
the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, we got to unpack this. We're going to unpack this because at first read, you're like, well, this is kind of enigmatic. There's two different words used for Lord in that quotation from Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord is Yahweh, the name for the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament. The second Lord is Adonai, another name for God in the Old Testament that means Lord or Master. So Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus reads that and says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? This leads us into what I'll call a Christmas question. A Christmas question. How could David's descendant be Adonai? How could David's descendant be David's God? How could David's descendant be David's master and Lord? Because David's descendant is also the son of God. Think about these precious words we read over every year. Luke 1.30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Great question. Great question. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We ponder that, this truth of a, a Savior who is both God and man. I think of these realities almost like a snow globe that's been put away and covered with dust, right? We, sometimes we think about this reality so much. It, it gets covered in haze and in dust, and no matter how much you shake it, all that familiarity makes it hard to appreciate. This morning, I want to look at a couple of other passages, and as we do, I want us to wipe the dust off of this powerful reality and think of the wonder, not of a snow globe, but of a, a Savior who is both God and man, I'm going to go to two passages, but I'm going to set the stage with a question. What was the name of David's father? Jesse. Jesse. Just like the uncle on Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Some of you remember that show. Now, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 11 with you. Isaiah chapter 11 and unpack the wonder of this Messiah who's prophesied. Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So the shoot comes from Jesse, correct? Right? Speaking of the same individual, just nine verses down in 1110, says the root of Jesse, 
Okay, so Jesse comes from the root, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So here's my question. How could anyone be the shoot and the root of Jesse? Just let that blow your mind for a little while. How could anyone be both the offspring of Jesse and the source of Jesse? One other one that's more to the point. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. How could anyone be both the root of David and the offspring of David? How could anyone be both the source of David and the offspring of David? Because David's son was also, is also the son of God. He was born a man in Bethlehem, but his coming forth is from of old, as Micah 5.2 tells us. What a wonder we remember at Christmas time. Their response in the face of such a dazzling mystery is no surprise. Verse 46, no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So we've talked about love and we've talked about Lord. Now I want to talk about the connection between love and the Lord. I'm going to ask everybody in this room to please stand up for a minute. Okay, I think we're all up. So if you have ever failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or ever failed to love your neighbor as yourself, sit down. If I had a chair, I would be sitting too. Romans 3, thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And James 2.10 says, you keep the whole law but fail at one point. You're guilty of breaking the whole law. I want to tell you something. If Jesus were standing here in the flesh this morning, he would still be standing. He would be the only one standing. Love for the Father, I think of John 14, 31. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. The upper room as he prepared for the cross. Love for his neighbor, I think of John 15, 13. He tells his guys, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he did that for you. He did that for me. Only Jesus could remain standing. The message of Christmas is not Jesus was nice to come here, so try your hardest to be like him. That's not the message of Christmas. That's like telling a dead dog to sit or speak or, or heal. 
the message of Christmas is you cannot be like him on your own. I cannot be like him. We need him to be made alive. We need him to be saved. We need him to be changed. That's why the Father sent him. You talk about an unspeakable, indescribable Christmas gift. Listen to 1 John 4.10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. It is love that sent the Lord. You see the connection? Think of Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One Christian artist put it, what kind of story is it where the hero dies for the villain? Let that sink in. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? I'll never forget a few years back, someone dear to us had just trusted Jesus that year in, in her 30s. And she said, you know what, even though I'm in my 30s, this year for the first time I really understand what Christmas is all about. I get it now. That could be you this morning. If you're standing on the brink of accepting him, you could be singing the words of that song. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours, Lord, I'm forever yours. Have you trusted in Jesus, the baby who grew, went to a cross with your sin and mine upon him, rose again? So, Lord, I know I'm not righteous on my own. I fall short. You lived the perfect life. I, I never could. You died to pay the penalty for my sin, and you rose again. I received that gift this morning that I might have a relationship with the Father. This could be your turning point. So if you have trusted him, as many of you have, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is it your deep desire to love God with, with all that you are? Is it your deep desire to go out of here and love your neighbor as yourself, even that tough one? Even that tough one. Listen, I don't imagine anyone in here on a future deathbed looking back with regret saying, man, I, I wish I had not loved God so much. And I wish I hadn't wasted so much time loving on people. I don't see anybody there. But sadly, all too many people reach that moment with the opposite, opposite regrets. Maybe you need to trust him for the first time this morning. Maybe you need to love him more. Maybe, maybe you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But maybe you're scared. I was talking with someone this week about that next step in their spiritual life, and we all get there. I know I need to change, but I'm scared, right? What are we afraid of? I think sometimes with this love thing, maybe 
maybe it's some selfishness that we know we're going to have to lay aside because love always costs something. Maybe that's frightening. A couple months ago, we talked about a rich young ruler who walked away sad because he was not willing to follow Jesus. Robert Rasmussen wrote a book called Imagine Meeting Him about Jesus. And he imagines this rich young ruler sitting in his backyard after that encounter with Jesus. Just his imagination, but I want you to take it in. Just then, a three-year-old's cry of anguish interrupted his thoughts. His son Jonathan was trying to get to his mother who had finished preparing jelly biscuits and grapes for him. Jonathan was trying to squeeze through a narrow opening between a tree and a fence post. By himself, the youngster could have negotiated the small passageway with ease. But he had come to treasure a tree branch he had been playing with. The branch with its leaves intact could not fit through. Unwilling to release it, Jonathan had reached a point of consternation. His father watched the scene with a mixture of amusement and sympathy. He thought, silly child, doesn't he know his mother's treat is so much better than that useless branch? Someday he'll learn. 